Welcome to Newport Beach in the Rearview Mirror, a podcast about the events and people, famous and forgotten, that shaped Newport Beach. I'm Bill Lobdell. Newport Beach has been home to many world-class surfers, but no waterman has performed greater feats and achieved more fame than J.J. Moon, who burst onto the surf scene in the mid-1960s with the same red-hot heat as the Beatles did in the music arena. In addition to winning more championships than there were contests, as one rival put it, J.J. Moon's prowess on the waves earned him a string of world records. Here's a few. He rode on the nose of his longboard for a full five minutes. He got tubed on a huge wave at Pipeline and came out with his hair not only dry, but still neatly combed. Despite the Vietnam War raging all around him, he won the Mekong Delta Monsoon Championships, a heart-stopping event held in the pouring rain with waves generated by, yep, a monsoon. And perhaps his greatest feat was Hanging 11. For those non-surfers out there, Hanging 10 means riding a board with 10 toes hanging over the nose. Well, J.J. Moon could hang 11 because he had an extra toe on his right foot. As you might have had an inkling already, J.J. Moon was more Paul Bunyan than Kelly Slater. The surf hero of the 1960s was the alter ego of Ned Eckert, a very average weekend surfer, and still a Newport Beach resident, by the way, who enthusiastically embraced a practical joke played on him in 1964 by some of the world's best surfers and then ran with it until he became basically a mythical figure sitting atop the sport of surfing. Yeah, it's true that J.J. Moon might not have been the number one surfer in the universe. Truthfully, he probably wouldn't have cracked the top 5,000. But he did pull off the biggest hoax ever in surfing. So let's get right to the details. Here are four things to know about J.J. Moon, played flawlessly by Newport Beach's Ned Eckert. The number one thing to know. J.J. Moon was an unlikely aquatic folk hero. Information about the early life of Ned Eckert is slim. But we do know he was quite the athlete. He played guard on the Chapman University basketball team. I think he graduated in 1960, and his heroics on the hardwood landed him in the college's Basketball Hall of Fame in 1984. And later, he became an assistant basketball coach at Chapman. Other tidbits about this manufactured hero, he worked as a waiter at the Chart House in Newport Beach when it first opened in the early 1960s. He took up surfing somewhere along the way, but never looked the part of a blonde-haired, well-muscled beach boy. 
In one news account, the squat, gap-toothed surfer was described as having, quote, a carpet of hair across his chest and a keg-shaped belly. From photos back in the day, it looked like Ned Ecker spent as much time drinking, as much time drinking beer as riding waves. And I think that was part of his appeal. He, he looked relatable. He, he was every man. At some point, Eckert made his way to Los Angeles, probably to be closer to the Malibu surf break that he loved. He worked at Beverly Hills High as a football and basketball coach. But outside of school, he quickly earned the reputation as being a cheerful, carefree guy known to most of the bartenders in Beverly Hills. Eckert surfed almost all the good surf breaks in Southern California and took surfing trips to Hawaii and Australia. And along the way, the gregarious Eckert became friends with some of California and Hawaii's best surfers, including Mickey Munoz, Corky Carroll, and Mickey Dora. These guys were longboard legends. Those relationships would eventually lead to the legend of J.J. Moon. More on that in just a minute. When not surfing, Eckert successfully invested in the stock market before transitioning to handicapping horse races, a talent that landed him a weekly column in the Newport Beach Daily Pilot. His time at the racetrack also led to a pseudonym, J.J. Moon. At the track, there was a local handicapper named J.J. Williams who peddled a tout sheet. Eckert later recounted when the name change happened. Quote, so one day we're sitting around this bar, and for the fun of it, I thought up a name for myself, J.J. Moon, unquote. I guess it wasn't more complicated than that, and the catchy name stuck. He even named that daily pilot column Moonshots. Second thing to know. Ned Eckert became surfing legend J.J. Moon by accident. In the winter of 1964, Eckert planned a winter surfing vacation to Hawaii, which happened to coincide with the Makaha International Surfing Championships, one of the toughest competitions at the time. Unknown to Eckert, while he was on a plane flying over the Pacific to Oahu, a well-known surfer named Rick Steer had entered Eckert strictly as a goof into the Makaha event under the name J.J. Moon. On the entry form to get him a preferred heat reserved for title holders, J.J. Moon was listed as Lake Michigan wake surfing champion. Apparently, the Makaha organizers didn't raise an eyebrow. But remember, this was in the very early days of surf competitions. Everyone was pretty much on the honor system back then. When J.J. Moon did arrive in Honolulu and his friends told him that he was entered in the Makaha contest, the alleged surf champion of Lake Michigan decided to take his limited skills and compete. Before the contest got underway, J.J.'s friend Mickey Munoz was interviewed on the radio. The reporter asked, and tell us, Mickey, who do you think will give you the most trouble in your heat? Who is the man to beat? And without hesitation, Munoz replied, Well, I don't know. There are a lot of tough guys. But the guy I really fear most 
is the fabulous J.J. Moon. And so, the legend was born. The next day, the surf came up to 20 feet and the contest was on. As Life magazine reported, J.J. Moon waddled out on the beach with a contestant's jersey over his beer paunch and lugging a borrowed surfboard. And the weekend surfer would later recall how he survived that contest. Quote, It was insane. What I did was I paddled out more than a half a mile to where people lost sight of me behind the closed-in swells. And I wouldn't go near those 20-footers farther out. Then I turned around and glided to shore on an easy one. Everyone saw me gliding back and forth with a world of style, but they didn't see where I had come from. Unquote. Of course, despite his attempt at impersonating a pro surfer, J.J. Moon would not advance from that heat. But he came away a different kind of winner. With that contest, he had entered the consciousness of the surf world. The number three thing to know about J.J. Moon. He turned out to be an amazing self-promoter. As one magazine observed in 1966... J.J. Moon himself was not hampered by any desire for obscurity. And no truer sentence was ever written. In other words, the dude loved the spotlight. But to be fair, it wasn't just J.J. Moon's self-promotion. It was all of surfing's royalty who wanted in on the joke that quickly spread to the four corners of the surf world. The publisher of Surfer Magazine, then the Bible of Surfing, jumped in, running a story about, quote, the world's best unknown surfer, J.J. Moon, unquote. A photo shoot was ordered. Some 900 pictures were taken. And through the right angles and imaginative cropping, the magazine made J.J. look like the world champion surfer that he wasn't. And in that story, the best surfers of the day were quoted, claiming J.J. Moon was either the world's best surfer or close to it. Champion Mickey Dora ranked himself number one in the world and said J.J. Moon had to be number two. Then the magazine started using J.J. Moon's name for every great picture it published with an unidentified surfer and also gave J.J. Moon his own column. With his fame soaring, J.J. Moon started his own surf club based in Newport Beach, which for $3.50, aspiring surfers would receive a t-shirt, decal, and membership card. There were also J.J. Moon beach towels and and keychains and all kinds of trinkets available. Ads that ran in surfing magazines featured J.J. Moon in a Hawaiian shirt with the headline, Are You Good Enough Surfer to Join the J.J. Moon Surf Club? The ad copy claimed that J.J. was the most respected name in surfing and listed his own surf team that he put together, which, of course, consisted of the five best surfers in the world. His fans expected nothing short of that. Perhaps the most amazing thing about this piece of performance art 
is that in a Surfer Magazine poll, J.J. Moon got enough votes to make it into the top 20 in the world. And I think those votes were write-in votes. Think about that. This was for a surfer who basically didn't exist. Soon, everybody wanted to surf the J.J. Moon tsunami. In 1966, the city of Newport Beach held a J.J. Moon Day to celebrate the surfer who the Daily Pilot newspaper described without irony as, quote, a top-ranked surfer by those who really know. Since J.J. lived in Newport Beach, that honor made sense. But a year later, in all the way across the country, in New York City, J.J. Moon attended a party in his honor at the New York Playboy Club, where he was given the key to the city, (laughs) New York City, on J.J. Moon Day. In exchange, J.J. Moon gave the bunnies one of his surf club shirts, which they promptly put on. Two other stories emerged from J.J.'s triumphant trip to the Big Apple. One, then Mayor John Lindsay provided his own limo to J.J. for the day, but J.J. didn't give it back for a week. The second story, which was taken at face value by New Yorkers at the time, was that while in the city, J.J. Moon surfed the wake of the Staten Island Ferry. With the leaders of the surf world and the surf media all perpetuating this joke, J.J. Moon became like Bigfoot, with young California surfers making alleged sightings up and down the coast. But most of the time, with no photographic evidence or first-hand encounters. He was kind of a ghost in board shorts. Here's what one surfer recounted in the Herald Journal of Dayton, Ohio. And the fact that someone in that city knew about J.J. Moon is indicative of how wide his legend spread right into the heartland of America, thousands of miles from the Pacific Ocean. Here's what he said. Quote, when I was a kid, maybe 17, my friends and I would haunt the hot beaches of the California coast looking for a man called J.J. Moon. It was said that he was the world's great surfer, the king, and we knew him to be of medium height and dark hair with a belly fat from too much beer. And this surfer, former surfer probably, went on to say that that despite their best efforts, they never spotted J.J. Moon. The fourth and final thing to know about J.J. Moon. Unlike his alleged five-minute nose ride, his turn as the world's most famous surfer was short. The legend of J.J. Moon took off because the 1960s were surfing's age of innocence. You had a ton of groms trying out the newly popular sport, and the action was covered by just a few media outlets, the biggest one being Surfer Magazine, who was in on the joke. So if Surfer Magazine said J.J. Moon was a legendary surfer, who is going to question it? 
1966, the elaborate joke started to fall apart. Life magazine, one of the most popular publications of the time, devoted two pages to J.J. Moon under the headline, Is J.J. Really the King of the Surf? It's really a fun tongue-in-cheek article that you can easily Google, and it's the basis for a lot of this podcast. So thank you, Life. And soon there were similar reports and word spread that J.J. Moon had been a lovable fraud. The J.J. Moon era lasted only a few years, and it, it could never happen again with today's media, social media, beach cams, and the like. Those would have sniffed out and killed the practical joke before it got any momentum. As for the ending to the story, it appears from the lack of news coverage that Ned Eckert slipped back into a fairly anonymous life on the Balboa Peninsula around 1970. I poked around the internet quite a bit and eventually found two potential updates about Ned's later life. First, on a blog site circa 2005, J.J. Moon introduced himself as, quote, the greatest surfer because I can hang 11. He then listed his interests as surfing, volleyball, cocktails, and women. And his favorite movie was the adult film Debbie Does Dallas. All of this seems right on brand, even 40 years after the birth of J.J. Moon. On another website, Eckert's occupation was listed simply as sales, which seems about right. After all, Ned sold the entire surf world on a most unlikely hero, J.J. Moon. All right, would the J.J. Moon story be worthy of a four-part Netflix series? Heck yes. The 1960s surf scene alone, with its fashions and surfboards, would be a character unto itself. And then you have the fun-loving, lovable J.J. Moon and his unlikely and fascinating story that would just be irresistible to viewers. And I'm not sure who would star as J.J. Moon, but we'd be looking for a slightly slimmed-down Chris Farley type. Okay, there you have it. J.J. Moon's incredible ride atop the world of surfing. Thanks for getting into this podcast time machine with me and traveling back to the 1960s to explore the most elaborate hoax in the history of surfing, courtesy of Newport Beach's own Ned Eckert. We'll see you next time. Hanging 10 means... Hanging 10... <clears throat> hanging 10 means... <clears throat> hanging 10 means... <clears throat> and along the way, the gregarious... The gre gregarious... The gregarious. Ugh. Ugh.